Take your Bible, turn with me to Romans 6, please. We're continuing our study in Romans. And we're learning what it is to live the Christ life. Is Romans 3, 4, and 5 contain incredible truth. And it has everything to do with the subject of substitution. It's the idea of Jesus taking our place. We've seen some wonderful themes so far. We've seen the idea of forgiveness, which takes place by His blood. We've seen the idea that we are actually declared righteous in God's sight because of what Jesus has done. We actually see that whatever the penalty was for sin, being death in particular, Jesus takes care of it. The death that we should have died, He dies. What is concerning is that we often end in five and we don't embrace six. And Romans 6 has probably been one of the most powerful passages in my life that I've ever come across ever, 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 ever. It has absolutely revolutionized the way that I understand my relationship with Jesus. And it begins to unfold and display the power that He has granted to me because of what Christ has secured for me. It is incredible to think that the Creator of all things has done what He has done. And He turns around and He blesses as He blesses. And He doesn't really ask for anything in return. That is the marvels of grace. And so if we're moving out of substitution, we now move into this idea known as identification. And this is something that we want to pay very close attention to. There's a great book written by a man, his last name is Maxwell. It's called Born Crucified. In fact, it was a book that Moody Press felt that it was so important for them to gain the rights of and to mass reproduce it as part of a special series of works by Christian authors uh, that they would release for people to have. It's called Born Crucified. I want to read to you the beginning of the first chapter of this book so that you understand this idea of identification, and then we'll step into the text. During the Civil War, George Wyatt was drawn by lot to go to the front. He had a wife and six children. A young man named Richard Pratt offered to go in his stead. He was accepted and joined the rakes, bearing the name and number of George Wyatt. Before long, Pratt was killed in action. The authorities later sought again to draft George Wyatt into service, and he protested, entering the plea that he had died in the person of Pratt. He insisted that the authorities consult their own records as to the fact of his having died in identification with Pratt, his substitute. Wyatt was thereby exempted as beyond the claims of law and further service. He had died in the person of his representative. There we have the truth of identification in a nutshell. God's way of deliverance is through death, through identification with our substitute in his death and resurrection. I don't know everything about you, but I know in some degree we all struggle with sin. Whether it be to a great degree, or whether it be small and annoying to the point where we just can't seem to conquer it. 
Sometimes they're particularly heinous sins. Those that you want to make sure stay in the closet and the closet is locked permanently. There are some sins that we deal with that seem to just be nuisances. It's just something I need to get over. A lot of it originates in just the fact of attitude. But it ultimately reflects fragments of our hearts that are hard. We become jaded. Either because the world has made us such, we feel that we're entitled to more. We ask, is this all that there could be? Or the simple fact that we don't find any hope. If this Christian experience is supposed to be so great, why do I not have any victory over sin? And I would tell you that if that is the question we're asking ourselves, and if that's the problem that we're wrestling with, we've already bought into the lie that Satan wants to sell us hook, line, and sinker. Because if we're wondering why we can't get victory over sin, we have already lost fact that there is victory over sin already. So now if you have your Bible, Romans chapter 6, I'm sorry, let's back up to 5. In fact, you don't even have to turn there. We'll show it to you on the screen. We're giving you a freebie today. Rest your little fingers. Here we go. If you remember, Paul was dealing with this whole situation of Adam and Christ. Adam and Christ. The problem with Adam is that he sinned. When he sinned, everybody sinned. In fact, not everybody sinned necessarily as much, which they did, but not necessarily as much as the problem is, is there's, there's a constitution in them that wants to sin. I can hide my sin and you think I don't sin, but the problem is, is that there's everything in me that wars and lusts after sin. One of the most incredible things I've ever seen in my life is that people try to hide their sin when they come to church. Why? Why? That mask never did anybody any good. That's not the mask you want to wear when you come to church. Anybody see that joke? No. Okay, never mind. But being honest about our sin is the way that we end up getting healing. Because we got to admit the problem, yes? I would hope so. What we also find is there is a a different and better track. Let's use a train analogy here. I like trains. There's a different railway that runs. It's a divine one. And Paul makes an incredible declaration about where he wants to take us in this letter. And notice that he says, the law came in so that transgression would increase. But where sin increased, where the indwelling principle wanting me to constantly do wrong was inflamed by telling me don't do it. How do we know that? I told my son the other day we were talking about sin. I said, close your eyes. I said, don't think of a pink elephant. He giggled like a fool. Why is that? Because that's the first place his mind went. I said, okay, don't think of a green llama. Then I had to explain to him what a llama was so he made sure he understood. But whatever he was picturing, it was as green as could be. And he was understanding when we're prohibited from doing something, we have this tendency that runs to it and wants to grab it for everything that it's worth, right or wrong. There's something in us that propels us. So the law comes in and it increases the transgression. Thank God he didn't leave us there. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more so that as sin reigned in death, in Adam's line, all you had to look forward to was death and dying. Not only physically, but spiritually. No hope. Godlessness. 
But he didn't leave us there. Even so, grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that's what I want you to grasp today. Paul is going to begin to tell us, how is it that grace can reign through righteousness leading to the end point of eternal life because of Jesus? I don't know about you, but I'm perfectly fine with grace reigning in my life. But if I don't appropriate all the tools that have been provided for me, it's not going to work. Jerry Blystone can work on cars all day long, but if somebody sent him a model airplane set, he's going to have a really hard time. You've got the wrong tools for the job. What are the tools that we need? Chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Could his audience conclude this end? Now, I want you to watch this because many people have phrased this wrong. And if you have the NIV, here's one good reason to get rid of it. (laughs) You guys have got to joke this morning. You've got to. It's okay. Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? Is the word singular or plural there? Singular. Which if you have the NIV, it'll say something like, should we go on sinning? Isn't that what it says? And it's speaking of the acts of sin, the offenses that I commit against God. Should we go on doing wrong things so that grace should increase? That's not what Paul's saying. Paul used the singular in chapter 5, verses 20 and 21, and he uses the singular now. Here's what he's saying. Should we seek to remain in the location that we're in with Adam to the end that it will be in death? But if you told us grace will increase by doing so, should we stick on that location? Should we stay in the line of Adam? Should we do things Adam's way? And notice the next thing he says. What's he say? May it never be. Perish the thought. Some translations say, God forbid it. What's the Spanish translation say? No way, Jose. Get away from that. Don't even think that. Don't let it enter your mind. And why? Look what he says here. How shall we, notice Paul includes himself, so it's safe for us to put ourselves in there, right? How shall we, who died to sin, still live in it? Now think about it. If S-I-N is part of Adam's rail, and you have died, what does the word die mean in Scripture? It can be dead to different things, but it's got one overall meaning that it means. Not cessation, but what? Separation. If we've been separated from sin, how do you continue to let that be what governs your life? Raise your hand if you've died. See, this is why we need to know identification. Because if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have died. You have died with him. Did you know that you're dead? That doesn't sound very positive. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Actually, being dead is one of the best things that I've ever been told. You say, that sounds so weird and morbid. What's up? Dead to sin. Because sin wants to control me. 
Wouldn't it be nice if you just did this? Well, this isn't going to hurt anything. Well, you really want this. You deserve it. Man, somebody thinks I deserve something. They got a problem. I deserve a knuckle sandwich. I deserve a PhD from the School of Hard Knocks, maybe. A pie to the face. My child to stamp on my foot. But I don't deserve that. No. Look what he says. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Why? Because dead people no longer have a relationship with sin. I've said this to you before, but I'll go ahead and say it again. It's one of the most ignorant things in the world if a cop were to write a corpse a speeding ticket. How do you serve that notice? What were they driving? That'd be what I'm curious of. But if a hearse is breaking the speed limit, you don't stop them, pull the coffin out, and and solicit the the citation. Why? Dead people don't sin. Dead people have no relationship to sin. In fact, look how he progresses this forward. Verse 3, or do you not know? This is what we're focusing on today. What we know. Why? Because our minds have got to get wrapped around a truth if we're ever going to get beyond habitual sin in our lives. Do you not know? Anytime I read that in the scriptures, I always mark it. Because if you haven't noticed, I'm not the brightest bulb in the room. So I need to know it. I need to understand it. My mind needs to grasp it. Or do you not know that all of us, notice Paul included, who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, have been baptized into his death. Now, one of the greatest atrocities that it's ever been committed with chapter 6, verse 3, is equating this baptism with water baptism. It is not water baptism. In fact, you probably know this from just basic understanding. The idea of baptism is to be immersed or to be dunked into something. But the idea was to take up an identification that was different than that before. And so the common example that we always see in the books, the common example that's always talked about is a piece of cloth. You've got a white piece of cloth, but because purple cloths were considered very high in value back in the first century, they would turn around and take this cloth and they would completely immerse it into a vat of purple dye. And when they brought it back out, the entire thing was now saturated in a different color and had a different identification because of what it had been immersed and associated with. Does everybody see that? Now, when we do water baptism, the reason why we do it, lights out in the back, somebody move around, there you go. The reason why we do baptism the way that we do is because we're talking about the death, burial, and resurrection with Christ that every believer in Jesus Christ already has as a reality. If this were water baptism... What we would have to state is, is that our identification with Christ is not complete until we perform a work that represents what has happened on the cross and through the resurrection. Now, I don't know about you, but that's too many degrees of separation to make me comfortable. How could I be a believer in Jesus Christ and not be identified with him when everything else in the scripture points to the idea that what is true of him is now true of me? That's an awesome truth. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized, who have been immersed and identified into Christ Jesus, have been baptized into his death? His death to what? See, here's the amazing thing about Jesus. 
from verses from chapter 3 to 21 to the end of 5, we talked about death for sins. Jesus died for sins, yes? Isn't that how you've got forgiveness? Jesus died for sins. But now Paul wants to talk to us about the fact that Jesus died to sin. And this is a completely different dimension of the same diamond. He not only paid the price for it, but he's also now completely severed from it. When Jesus was born, was he not born into a world full of sin? Yes. When he was tempted by the devil, was that temptation trying not to get him to sin? Absolutely it was. He didn't succumb to it. When he was on the cross, don't we read the verses, and he became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. But here's the amazing thing. When he hung there and he said, it is finished, what did it mean? It meant the power of sin has now been severed. Now, if it's been severed for Christ and he's died for it, you know what that means? He no longer has any dealings with it. Everything that Jesus needed to deal with in regards to the idea of sin has been dealt with and done. It doesn't need to be brought up again. He does not deal with it. Well, if that's the case and we are identified with him, then what that tells me is, is that we're done with it too. You say, now time out. I still got this sin nature. Yeah? Do you have to listen to it? No. Do you have to obey it? No. Does it need to rule over your life? No. Well, how can you say that? I'm not powerful enough to do that. I know. Neither am I. But if Jesus has died for it and dealt with it, guess what? It's done. And if we would start with the perspective of his death to sin and recognize I'm fully identified with him, then guess what? Sin becomes way more manageable in my life because I can look at it and say, nope, don't need to do it. Not today. Don't have to deal with it. Notice I don't have to muster up the power. Notice I don't have to get myself more right with the Lord. It's a truth that God has already secured for us that we simply believe and appropriate. So we're going to talk about how to do that. Look at verse four here. Therefore, we have been buried with him, laid to rest. Think of it that way. The you in Adam, the me in Adam, has not only been brought to death, but has been buried. Now, let's be honest. Buried is the finalization of death, is it not? Hopefully, none of us are burying alive people. That would be bad. Everybody hear the story? They used to have those little bells just in case people were still alive when they buried them. Who was running that job? Good grief, right? Hopefully not us. Man, stay away from me, guy. But the idea of being buried is it's a done deal. It's completed. In fact, when we get a person all the way under the water, it's because we're mirroring what the Spirit has already done to them at the moment of faith. They believed. I hear the gospel. I respond in belief. I am now dead, buried, and raised to a new life. So notice, we were buried with him, identified in his burial, through baptism, the spirit baptism, into death. So that, here's the reason, as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. God's got a goal. God's goal is a new life. Let me ask you a question. When did you die? Some of you weren't convinced you're dead. I'm here to tell you that you are. When did you die? You know the time. Here's what's amazing. It wasn't the moment that you believed when Christ died. See, that's the amazing thing. 
When Jesus died on the cross, he not only took all the sins that would ever be committed of the entire world, past, present, and future upon himself, but all those who would come to believe in him through the gospel that the apostles would preach are now dead in him and died at that moment. You don't have to die. You're already dead. Praise God. Now, why does that need to be a reality? Here's the reason why. is because God understands the flesh, not the body. The flesh and body are two separate things. God understands that the flesh will serve no sound purposes in worshiping him in spirit and in truth. The flesh is antithetical to that. And so notice what has to happen is God has to kill us. He has to slay us. Because he understands the flesh is good for nothing. The flesh profits nothing. Notice how he moves on here. If the goal is a newness of life that he wants us to look forward to, here's what happens. Verse 5, 4, here's the explanation. If we have become united with him in the likeness of his death. Is that true? Have you been united with Christ in the likeness of his death? You have been. So notice that the if there is not if we want to, if we don't want to. That's not the if. The if could probably be better understood as since. Think of it that way. For since we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, in other words, we're associated with him. We have a related experience with him. It is a unified whole with him is the idea. In his death, certainly, without a shadow of a doubt, We shall also be in the likeness of his, what does it say? His resurrection. So notice the first thing we need to know is identification. Do you know that you are identified with Christ at the moment of faith? Do you understand that your identity is now wrapped up in the Lord Jesus and not in yourselves. In fact, I would say this, there is not a situation that has ever come across my path as far as counseling in regards to trouble, issues, sin, anything, that the idea of identity in Christ was not at the crux of the question in mind. Don't, don't, don't be upset if when I asked you, did you know that you're dead and you didn't raise your hand? That's not to embarrass you. Understand that. It's not. There's tons of Christians that don't know that they're dead. They don't understand that when Christ died, we died with him. That this idea that I have to entertain sin, that I just, I just can't resist any longer, that I've got to have it type of thing. They've never understood that the victory's already been secured for them because Jesus died in their place and died for them. So that sets me free. Well, guys, don't you know that the internet just wants you to, to take a couple of clicks? And get on those pages. Nobody's going to notice. You're dead to that. Jesus died for that and you died with him in that. Guess what? It's no longer an issue. It doesn't have power over you. It's no longer your master. Instead, now that the Holy Spirit has moved in, the sin nature has been evicted out of our spirits. And we are not to call death our leader anymore. This is what separates the Christian from the non-Christian. Look at verse 6. A second thing we need to know 
know this, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him. What is the cross? The cross is God's tool of execution because of the sin problem, because of the divide that has been brought up. Because left to ourselves, we would willingly run away from God if a little bit of cash was put out there for us in exchange. Because whatever it is that appeases to our flesh so much that draws us away like a tractor beam, we just get drawn away from God too quickly. We don't stop and we think about the idea of crucifixion. Do we know that we're identified with the Lord Jesus? Do you know that you have been crucified? At one point, we memorized Galatians 2.20. Do we know it? I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's a beautiful truth. That tells me my identity. That I don't have to worry about facing Satan, the world, and my personal sin anymore. Because I'm not the only one dealing with it. If it was just Jeremy, Lord help us. But if Jeremy is hidden in Jesus, there's not a fight. The war's over. It's done. Or like he said, it's finished. So the number two thing we need to know is that we've been crucified. Verse 6, knowing this, that our old self was crucified already with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Anybody ever told you you need to die to yourself? You just need to die to yourself. We know what people mean by that. Good intentions, right? Seems like that sin or Satan has a foothold in a situation. And our problem is, is that we have gotten involved in this and we just want to grab onto it and gravitate towards it and hold on tightly to it. And instead, we need to die to ourselves. That is incorrect theology. Do you not recognize that you're already dead? Do you not recognize that the only thing that God could do with us in and of ourselves was crucify us with Jesus? Now, why in the world did he do that? Why in the world would he nail us to the cross? Why in the world would we die with him? Isn't there something good in us? That's the whole point of existence in the spiritual realm, is to further convince us, no, everything good in us is what God has done through Christ in supplying for us. When we think about why we can't handle sinful situations, of course you can't. You were never designed to. It is beyond your capability. It's impossible. So Jesus needs to do it all instead. So notice you were crucified with him. Why? In order that the body of sin. Now what does that mean? That's everything that was in the Adam track. Everything that was in the Adam track should be brought to nothing. Everybody see the idea here done away with? 
The word can mean annulled. The word can mean the idea of removed or brought to powerlessness. Think about the idea of somebody taking a plug and yanking it apart. This is exactly what God has done for us in Christ. If the TV was nothing but white snow going the whole time because that's what a life of sin is like, then God comes in through the cross and crucifying us with Christ and he severs the power. And he says no more. And knowing God, he probably threw the TV to the ground as well. I'm going to guess. But notice he says here, it's made powerless. It may be done away with. Here's the reason. So that we would no longer be, what's it say? Slaves to sin. This is what we were told back in chapter 5. This condemnation that has now come upon the world is not just that we will meet a certain physical death, that's a reality, and that apart from Christ we will meet a certain spiritual death, that is an eternity in the lake of fire. But it's actually more than that. It's that existence from now on is going to be trying because now we are in servanthood to sin. God says, let me take care of that. Let me do it in my son. Let me perform this exact surgery on the cross. So notice, done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Or in other words, to reaffirm what Maxwell said in in the opening, God's way of deliverance from sin is death. It is a recognition that I've been crucified with Christ. Now here it is. For, here's the explanation. He who has died is, what's the word? Freed. I don't think you guys are excited about that. If you are died, you're what? You're not just free. You're free! Anybody think of Mel Gibson? All painted up? Looking like something that the cat brought in? Got off a loincloth hanging from his waist? Yelling like a madman? Freedom. I'm not going to scare you. Screaming freedom. I don't know about you, but this matters. As someone who was four years into a renewed relationship with Jesus Christ, scared to death that I might lose my salvation over any big sin that I committed. Little sins I felt like he dealt with okay. There was a rug somewhere he brushed them under, not a big deal. But big sins were like somebody spilled coffee on the couch. You couldn't get around it. God, are you still going to love me? And then somebody said, have you ever read Romans 6? And I said, I don't know. Is that Old Testament or New Testament? And they took it to me, or they took me to it. They took it to me, probably needed to, right? And they showed me, don't you know about Jesus dying? Yes, I do. Don't you know he forgave your sins? Yes, I do. Don't you know that you've been brought back into a right relationship with God? Yes, I do. Don't you know that you died with him? No, that, what? No. You've died. This whole methodology that the world has trained us in about how to handle life and the temptations that come our way, it's invalid. 
it's never been right. But now you have been removed from that track of Adam and you have been re-railed to a brand new track where power exists and the means of moving you was crucifixion. See, we talked heavily about the effectual tool to forgive sins was the blood. But if we are ever going to live where grace reigns in our life, now we've got to deal with the cross. And notice it's not something burdensome. It's not all these hoops I need to jump through. It's not the laundry list of spiritual means of which to get it accomplished. It's just a simple understanding that when temptation comes my way and sin is saying, come over here and see this, that I can stand in a position because I'm in Christ and say, no, I'm free. I've died to that, and I don't need it any longer. Now, let me tell you a little story. Pastor Steve, I'm so glad you're here today, and you brought some of your family. They'll like to hear this story, too. I hadn't been here too long, probably a week or two. I'm trying to get to know everybody. And I got this really nice invitation from Laverne and Cheryl. And you guys were celebrating 40 years at that point, right? Yeah. They had a nice little shindig going on. I'm trying to learn everybody's name. First time I really met Mary Walker, God saved my soul. It was a good time. It really was. So I'm going out there and I'm mingling with everybody. And, and, and I mean, we're testing the waters. We, we don't know. You know, we don't know everybody. So we're trying to get to know everybody. And I'm very intimidated by Pastor Steve. Still am. Okay. I mean... Good grief. You couldn't ask for better. But we're on the way out. Nathaniel's still really tiny. We get him in the car. We get him settled. My wife gets in the car. And I come around to the passenger side door. And up pulls Steve and Rita. And pull up in the truck. They're arriving right as we're leaving. And Pastor Steve is in the passenger seat. He rolls down the window. And he goes, Come here, big boy. I want to show you something. (laughs) And that exact same voice. And he proceeds to tell me the situation about how he had slipped on the ice and hurt his knee and he wanted to show me his scar and all these wonderful things. And I've never been beckoned like that. (laughs) And I thought, you know what? I'm not as intimidated now. But there are a lot of times when sin tries to beckon me like that. Come over here. Look at this. It makes me wish now I would have said, Pastor Steve, I am dead to those things. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer need to entertain that mess. We're going home. It's the same with sin. The very first step in dealing with sin in our lives is recognizing that our lives have been graciously placed on a path that has been separated from that realm. And while everybody may exist over there, people often sin to think that that's the answer. People often stir those things up to try to entertain themselves to bide their time. 
Or it's something as simple as they think that this is the solution to the problem and it manifests itself in a hard heart. Guess what? That's not us. We may, be, we may fall back into that rut because it's comfortable. We know what to expect. But I tell you this emphatically by Romans 6, that is not us. Paul says we've been crucified. We've been identified with Jesus in such a way that when the Spirit came into our lives, He took us down into Christ. He has identified us. He has submerged us in Him. And now He stands in our stead as the answer to sin. I no longer have to deal with it. My identity is wrapped up in Him. Let's do this real quick. Two more things and then I'll wrap it up. I promised my wife I wouldn't preach long. Turn with me over to Colossians 2. I want you to see the same type of idea unfold. Same author. But Colossians 2. And I want to start here. Verse 9. It says, for in him, that's Christ, for in Christ, all fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him, you have been made complete. And he is the head over all rule and authority. And in him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the, what is it? The flesh. And that's what lusts after sin. But look what it says here. Not only in the, in the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ. Christ is a reason. Watch this. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith, in the working of God who has raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in your your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with them, having forgiven us all of our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, crucifixion. Now don't be surprised. Notice that this is Colossians. He's writing to believers, reminding them of their glorious position in the Lord and recognizing that everything that was accumulated in the flesh was going to lead to death, has been brought to naught, and has been killed pulverized you know what that tells me if you've got this from last week this little chart we did over here for romans 5 we put all the things about adam transgression sins principle it's going to lead to death it's all bad death is tyranny over our lives you know what this does and telling me my identification is it lets me do this with my list this is the only list that matters now fold it in half put it on the back burner We don't need to mess in Romans 5 anymore. Why is it? Because Romans 6 declares our liberation, our victory already over sin, our already crucifixion, our already death, our already identification. You're going to run out of space. Praise God. Why? Because thankfully the Lord said, what's the best thing I can do 
with a depraved, sinful, hopeless human race. I've got to put him to death. And I'll do it in my son. Why? Because sin is so serious. It's what separated them from me in the first place. So let's deal with it, not just so that I can reconcile them in Jesus, but get this, but so they will no longer dabble in it and lead holy lives that cultivate this friendship I want to have with them. That's our identity in Christ. Not anything we muster, not anything we try, everything we are. It's not about doing, it's about being. Now, when you came today, you sat down on a glorious bookmark. Take this out. If you don't have it, you're either sitting on it, you got one next to you. If you need extras, we've got plenty. Because as much as we are focusing in on the idea that we've been identified with Christ and we are dead to sin, and that's how we start dealing with sin, that's how grace begins to reign in our lives is recognizing that we've died to sin in Christ. There's also a myriad of other things that are true about us, all because of Jesus. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the three headings here, and I'm going to ask you to read out loud with me every subheading that comes after it. For instance, who I am in Christ. Number one, I'm accepted. Let's read these. I am God's child. I am Christ's friend. I have been justified. I am united with the Lord, one spirit. I am bought with a price. I belong to God. I am a member of Christ's body. I am a saint. I have been adopted as God's child. I have access to God through the Holy Spirit. I have been redeemed and forgiven. I am complete in Christ. I am secure. Here we go. I am free forever from condemnation. I am assured all works together for good. I am free from any charge against me. I cannot be separated from the love of God. I am established, anointed, sealed by God. I am hidden with Christ in God. I am confident that the good work God has begun in me will be perfected. I am a citizen of heaven. I have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. I can find grace and mercy in time of need. I am born of God. The evil one cannot touch me. I am significant. I am the salt and light of the earth. I am a branch of the true vine, a channel of his life. I have been chosen and appointed to bear fruit. I am a personal witness of Christ. I am God's temple. I am a minister of reconciliation for God. I am God's co-worker. I am seated with Christ in the heavenly realm. I am God's workmanship. I may approach God with freedom and confidence. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is who we are. This is everything that is true about us. Now here's what you do if you're me. Well, I don't feel united to Jesus. Good Lord, my feelings. I'm a basket case. But praise God, none of that negates the facts of what is true about me in the gospel. Let me ask you a question. Are you discouraged this morning? 
Are you depressed? Are you beaten down? Do you feel like sin has your number? Do you feel like that the devil is always winning? Do you feel like that you can never get free from bondage? Do you feel like that everyone's against you? Are you alone? Let me tell you today that none of that is true. That all of it is based on how we feel, but the Word of God tells us the reality of who we are and whatever sin would want to creep in and try to twist us and turn us to think in a certain path one way or another. And it always originates in the mind. This is why he's saying knowing this, knowing this, knowing this, because the mind has got to get straight in order for the heart to embrace the reality of it. And let me tell you this, all of these things are true of you and especially your relationship with sin has been severed. Does this mean we're going to exist in sinless perfection? No, the old nature still wants us. Still says, come over here, big boy. Still does that to this day. But that's when we get to stare at sin, not because of a power in us, but say Christ has died for that. And because I'm in him, I have died to that. No, thank you. That's the victory we have in Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for all that you have accomplished in our great and perfect Lord. How incredible it is that the cross has blessings bursting forward upon your children. We have died with him on that moment in Calvary. We were crucified. And that is where our flesh belongs. And when sin calls, Jesus makes it possible to say no, to not participate, to forsake the old man, to no longer live in that line. Grace is already exceedingly abundant in Christ. And thank you, Lord, that that is our permanent location. Hallelujah. Thank you for loving us so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray that. Amen.